When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to have the happy, happy task of discussing the defense against the Bengals in that big win Sunday for the Ravens. Joining me to do that is Denard Milton. You know him from the Fire Zone show. Denard, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, always, uh, you guys have had me on before, of course, and, and I'm glad to have you again on the show. Uh, just a fantastic day for Baltimore sports yesterday with that incredible Orioles win twice down to their last out and Mm -hmm. the Ravens doing very early Lamar Ravens like things in terms of this offense to uh, uh, be very efficient and put away a game. Feels good to be in the city right now. And in particular in the state, because even Maryland won too. Yeah, that's right. Now I, I normally, I try and pay a little attention to Maryland. I saw they beat Virginia, but uh, what happened in that game anyway? How, how one-sided was it? I didn't really watch it. I was watching JMU against Troy. So I I was engrossed in my alma mater and we went down there and handled business when people thought we couldn't do it. So we're off to a a JMU guy. I went to school down there. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Troy is in Georgia, right? Is it Athens, Georgia? Or is it somewhere in Georgia? I thought it was in Alabama. You might be right. I really don't know. Yeah. I think there's a Troy in Georgia, but I think the college is in Alabama. Okay. I may be wrong on that. All right. And this I know there's a Troy, New York, but I don't think they have much of a college program and they may not have a college there either. But no, probably not. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, great to have you here. And and I, I just I'm I'm just so engrossed in Baltimore sports right that I, I I have my own kind of self-imposed writing responsibilities. I know you guys have the same thing, because you know, it, it's not like we get paid a ton of money at what we do here doing this, not through podcasting, definitely not through any of the writing I do. And, you know, it's just, I want to allow myself to enjoy the, the Orioles as much as I'm enjoying the Ravens right now. It's hard to find 24 hours to uh, hard to find more than 24 hours in the day to do it. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels good to, to be talking to good teams in a city where for, for a long time, it was either, either or, and when it was both, it was it was stressful. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like good wins. It was just like we were sitting there, literally on our seats. Like, is this gonna fall apart? No, Delvin Young just hit a double down the line. <laughs> it's like it was crazy. Great times, great times there. That Delvin Young play, the 
Orioles fans deserve to have more than that one play to remember for the last 25 years or so. And unfortunately, that's about it. Yeah. Um, that 2014 season fell apart. And, uh, you know, in, losing to Kansas City was a very, very bitter, bitter pill for me personally, not, mm-hmm. not getting to go to another World Series after dominating the league. But anyway, it is what it is. Let's talk a little Ravens here. Let's Absolutely. get back to, this, to the Bengals. Uh, one of the things that I thought came out of this game was that the Ravens adapted very well to their opponent in this game. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think they, it's good to have a division game, particularly good to have a division game where you're a little banged up because everybody is super focused, but everybody already kind of knows the team that you're playing. So there's not a lot of overwatching film and things on that sort. You, you're, you got guys who are, focused in who are ready to play who are understanding what the assignment is before you even get into you know installing the game plan uh certainly they've really played the same game against these Bengals the last four times they've met them and what i mean by that ravens playing a lot of cover two on the back end we'll get to a lot of this later we're going to go into much more detail but a lot of cover two on the back end which kind of forced the uh Bengals, at least from their perspective to throw the ball short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to I back this up for a second first to 2021. And if you don't remember that year, um, it was not a, plenty, a, a, a pleasant year to play the Bengals. Uh, Burrow passed for, I think it was 941 yards against the Ravens in the two games that season, but it's over 900 anyway. Yeah. And 525 yeah. yeah, it was my favorite D coordinator, Wink. <laughs> all right having a problem with wink already <laughs> but anyway uh it, it wasn't a uh wink would certainly liked pressure i thought wink was very adaptable too but obviously he didn't adapt properly in that game mm-hmm. and this is where he kind of developed the quip about having DoorDash corners letting him down yeah. well yep. we, we just saw yesterday it is possible to win a game against the cincinnati Bengals and joe burrow with less than ideal cornerbacks well, when you have a system in place and everybody understands that system and it's not changing week to week, uh, formation to formation, play to play, then you you can you can tailor made a, a, a game plan where you take the focus off the outside and make them throw inside, which seems like that was a big part of make them throw to our linebackers and our safeties. And if they're going to beat us, they're going to beat us there. And we're going to be okay with that. They're not going to beat us on the outside with Jamar Chase over the top, T Higgins over the top, um, boy down, you know, screaming down the, 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 the seam. No, we're going to make you beat us by hitting your tight ends, hitting your in routes, and you're going to have to come to us. Yeah. Specifically what cover two takes away, of course, and you can play cover two a lot of different ways. We want to get into some of that later in the show. But we, when you play cover two, you're really taking away all the way to the sideline with your safety. The weakness, in fact, is, you know, they always say is in the middle of the field against cover mm-hmm. two. But uh, those safeties are very much on the, on their um, t- on task to take the deep outside as uh, – who was the announcer that was uh, the ex-lineman who was so upset about Raheem Moore not being back for Jacoby Jones on the mile? Oh, yard. man. Yeah. I can still hear him screaming. He's, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's honestly, he's one of my favorite announcers of all yeah. time, but he did he did retire. 
it's it's Conrad Dobler was the lineman who played with them on the Cardinals, but he was like a left tackle and he, how can I not remember this guy's name now? This is terrible. Yeah. All right. I'm blanking. It'll, it'll come to me. Uh, but anyway, that was a, uh, 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 you know, the deep outside is something that the safeties are very easy, easily able to take, but it was actually a play in the deep middle in this game, which really, I think exposed Burrow in a way that really shows why they felt like they had to go outside for all game. Are you talking about the, um, the Geno stone pick? Yep. So that, that's a beautiful, we were talking about this pre-show. That's what the beautiful part of what we call a matchup zone in, mm-hmm. and it's kind of that, that language of the world. But in essence, it's not, it's not like what you think in basketball, where it's a matchup zone, like you go out and meet your guy and you come back and you, you know, you move with the ball in football. It's more about formations. So in that particular formation, there was three receivers to the right and a single to the left. And you already know as, as a defense and you're probably most likely in some type of cover two rotational shell with possibility of having man coverage on the single side of, you know, of that formation. So now you have a safety who is kind of checking to make sure the guy on the outside by himself is okay. And if you look at Stevens, he's got beautiful leverage from the get-go. So this frees up Stone to look for work. And on defense, that's like the mindset of every guy on defense is, once you secure your zone, go find work. So let's let's talk about this a little deeper because I think the concept of matchup zone is one is a term that often gets bantied around and we hear about it. But I think there's a fair number of listeners here who uh, don't know exactly what it is, but would love to have it explained anyway, even if they do. So matchup zone, as I learned it, was a a set of rules for coverage that applies to different parts of the field differently. Yes. So the, 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 the kind of the classic way I think of it is you line up against the Steelers bunch formation, usually with three guys opposite that, but there's a set of rules on who takes what coverage based mm-hmm. on who's going where. Absolutely. Um, in college, we would call that if there was a, you know, three receiver on there, it's a banjo. So mm-hmm. four guys. So you have the linebacker, the safety, most likely the nickel and the corner playing the three guys in that bunch. Mm-hmm. So most likely the linebacker will take the first inside cut. The safety will take the next outside, you know, the first vertical corner will take the outside guy. Now the nickel is more or less either a checking the running back or some type of zone underneath those three guys. Now, he could be the clear out guy, for example. He could be he could be checking on the clear out. He can check on the clear out. He can check on the flare back, which Stone does a fantastic job on a couple plays. He almost missed that tackle late in the third or fourth on the sideline, but he he, he got enough. Um, but those are the type of plays, and we have the type of safeties with Hamilton with Stone. And I'll give Stone credit because I was riding him in the in the preseason. Yep. He he was not he was not healthy, but he wasn't trusting his eyes. He trusted his eyes against the Bengals. 
He was drafted. I, I mean, the reason that Geno Stone got drafted by the Baltimore Ravens is instincts on the back end. It's not yeah. speed, that's yeah. for sure. It's it's how he reads the quarterback. And I, I'm looking at that play, and we kind of maybe want to dissect it even a little further here. But uh, you know, he in theory he had the responsibility to take um, Chase if at once he broke inside leverage on um, on Stevens. Yeah. Stevens watched this, you know, was was on him, no doubt about it. But Chase did take inside leverage, which was part of what the Ravens, I think, were trying to do. The problem was that Stone wasn't really looking at that at all. And in fact, after the game, he was interviewed and he said, I saw he broke to the outside. Well, he didn't actually see him broke to the outside. He, he <laughs> but he was looking directly at the quarterback. You can see his eyes the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's Geno Stone at his best. And, and what I thought that exposed about Burrow is – Burrow's arm strength, which I don't think is not good ever. I mean, he's, he's not no. ever really have a lead arm strength, but it could be worse. I, and I, I'm asking you this as a player too, because he's not being able to throw off his leg the way he would normally if his calf were right. So you watch that. You watch that pass. It's got almost nothing on it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not a Joe Flacco throw. It's a or a Lamar Jackson fastball. It's a it's a high looping ball over the middle. It's a trajectory almost to get over a defender rather than to you know get the ball as quickly as you can. And that gave Stone, not that Stone's instincts might not have been good enough to get there anyway, but it did give him a little bit of extra time to get there. Yeah, I, I you know, Joe, I, I, Burrow's calf, yes, it could be part of it. But if you watch a lot of Burrow's tape, and we have him in our division, mm-hmm. so we've seen him a lot play. He struggles with deep over the middle throws. It's something he struggles with mightily because he doesn't have elite arm strength. He's got good arm strength. He can throw the 12-yard out on a rope from the hash. He can do that. No problem. They protect him, though. Mm-hmm. He doesn't throw that long out that you see a lot. Like, Lamar throws that long out that he threw to OBJ. You don't see a lot of that from Burrow. So, he had Roquan Smith in his vision. So. When he's throwing that, he's got to get it over that linebacker, but he doesn't have the drive to stick it in there like an Aaron Rodgers or a Josh mm-hmm. Allen or a Pat Mahomes. I would even say even a Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. He can make, you know, because he's got better arm strength than Joe Burrow. He just, his mind is in another land. We could anyway. even say Joe Flacco if you wanted to because right. he's well, we see arm strength. Yeah, I mean, he, him and Bolden made a living on that for two, three years. It's mm-hmm. what they do. So all that plays into how Mike McDonald called that game, and particularly in the red zone. He took away the outside, and he basically said, you're going to beat me, Joe? You're going to beat me with your weakness. I'm going to give you the middle of the field. And Geno Smith understood the assignment. He saw and recognized Third receiver was coming over the top of Roquan. I mean, that's pitcher perfect safety play. Mm-hmm. He shut the window. Oftentimes, also, when that ball is about to be thrown, the quarterback's focus is on outthrowing any trail coverage. So mm-hmm. Hamilton was the last guy in trail coverage. So Roquan handed off the coverage to Hamilton. Hamilton was then in trail mm-hmm. trying to get there. And his his vision is telling him, I need to need to line up that pass exactly. Almost, he's almost like lining up the dart on the dartboard kind of thing to try and find his spot. 
As soon as the quarterback starts to do that, he's lost focus completely on how the window is closing. And you'll often yes. hear that from quarterbacks like Joe Flacco, who are trying to, to, to throw a quarterback. They, I didn't see the other guy. And I'm sure Burrow would say he didn't see Stone in this case, didn't really figure for him getting there. But he, he had just enough mustard on that ball to get it past the trail coverage of Hamilton, but not nearly enough to get it past the closing window there. Absolutely. And, and you know, at the end of the day, you, you as a defense, you know you're going to give up plays, but you can, when it's money time, inside that 25, 30-yard line, however you're going to define the red zone now, the Ravens time and time again make it difficult for you to score. You don't go in there and get cheap scores. You're going to have to work for it. Anytime you can compress the field as they did. And I thought that was, that was really good because they allowed their, their cornerbacks, definitely the weakness of the team at this point, the weakness of the defense by far, no matter how much over their heads, they're kind of playing. They had some good plays in this game, Yeah, um, but, but they, they did a wonderful job of keeping the play in front of them. And I thought they got very good support from the linebackers, Patrick queen and Harrison in particular Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of running down plays towards the sideline to the backs. Uh, Really good recognition on those plays. It had to be a point of emphasis in terms of coaching this week, I would think, because you know you're playing the Bengals. They play the same game plan the last three three times against the Ravens, and you know they're probably not going to try and test the Ravens deep. In fact, in this game, I've got to jump ahead a little bit, but Burrow was 0 for 7 with one interception on throws over 15 yards. That's a 0.0 passer rating. And by the way, very hard to accomplish that because you need to have at least one interception. It's very hard to get a zero passer rating. Yeah. No. That's, I, it's, it's stunning, but then again, you see his calf. He can't, he can't do the things that we've seen him do. Now, this also begs the question, and I was thinking about this earlier, and I know we're not scheduled to talk about Joe Burrow, but – He's not been healthy two out of four years. Mm-hmm. I, I, would you, you're saying you wouldn't have paid him? I would have liked to see him stay healthy in consecutive years before I'm going to dish out that money. Because now calf injury is going to linger all season. He's not going to be healthy all season. The offense is already flat. I think they have lost their entire identity as a football team. Like, I do not understand why they do not run the football more. It just boggles my mind. I, And then it's just there's no rhythm to them. In that whole game, they were fighting just to make plays. As an offense, you don't want to go into a game and and fight to make plays. You want a good, solid rhythm that the Ravens were in all day, except for that last three and out, and that was more because of the penalty than anything and a little bit of conservative calling. But I understand the situation. I, I'm by the way, I'm I'm probably, you know, I, I always I would ask the question of I think you need to ask the question: Is it the right play to have your quarterback graduate rather than stick around? I think you you always got to ask that question. I think the Ravens maybe would have been well-served to ask it about Joe Flacco before they paid him an enormous contract. But one of the problems is for successful football teams, and the Bengals are now in this category, is they can't even see the light at the end, the end of the tunnel to another high draft pick 
where they're going to get a chance to draft another guy like Burrow. So they have to kind of do make do with the Burrow they have. And even if it's not a, the perfect situation, and believe right. me, there's a lot of people around Baltimore, and I think they some of them have some lousy reasons for it. But other people will, will, will give you reasons that actually kind of make you wonder from a GM perspective that didn't want Lamar Jackson signed. And it's not that they want to lose Lamar Jackson. It's they want to trade Lamar Jackson for two first-round draft picks instead and, and see if it works out. And I, I, I'm, I am not in that group. I'm very happy Lamar got signed. Right. But at least I think I can understand the argument a little better. And maybe, I mean, if the, 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 way, the only way you don't sign Burrow, I think, is if somebody else is willing to really overpay for him the way, say, um, the Browns overpaid for Watson in terms of draft capital. Yeah, I, have, I, I, don't, have an, I don't have an issue with him being signed because I get the whole quarterback mm-hmm. market. I, it's, it's the same thing I had questions with Lamar was he hadn't been healthy for two yeah. plus years. I, I, I got the Ravens hesitation. I, I, you know, they went through the process of this whole thing for two years because that's how big of a decision it is. Like, yeah, this year we've got weapons galore and, and things along that sort, but eventually this cap thing is going to eat something up and it's most likely going to be the defense. So, you know, you, you have to make those decisions and you have to hopefully continue to draft very, very well defensively so you have young talent coming in and hopefully in five years you find another Roquan Smith that can come in and take those young guys under their wing and say, hey, we're as good as anything else. Let's go. This is what we got. We don't have you know, $60, $60 million corners and this, that, and the other, like these other teams have. No, we, we're we paying our quarterback a half a billion dollars <laughs> and taking care of him. And we're just going to have to make do with what we got. It's a, it is an unfortunate fact of life. You look at every single financial transaction differently once you've got that quarterback on the second contract. And, you know, every everyone is going to have to be looked at. And there are a lot of casualties coming up, and they're coming up in free agency this year for the Ravens. I think there's actually a slightly better chance Dobbins is re-signed now with the injury. I, I think the chance was about zero if he'd had a productive year because I don't mm-hmm. think the Ravens could afford him. But guys like Kevin Zeitler are not going to be around. And there's there's yeah. there's some good reasons why Kevin Zeitler is not going to be around because you don't want to hold the last contract on a player ever. It's kind of like holding holding an old maid. But mm-hmm. but in, in his case, it's also a matter of it's, it's going to be too much money if he's paid reasonably well. Yeah. Um, you know – Queen is going to be gone. There's no way that's going to work out. Uh, I, I, and and I'm, I, I know people are going to be shocked. I'm a li- I'm I'm somewhat sad about that. I do wish they could have traded him for real value. But given that he's not, let's let's enjoy this season. Let's really get a great Patrick Queen season, which he seems to be uh, uh, seems to be on pace for. And then you know Justin Matabike, as lousy a start as he's off to this year. Um, is in position to make a ton of money, and I don't see the Ravens really being able to match what what he gets offered. No, because that's why they play, you know, Washington. Yeah, it was in safety. Like, okay, we're gonna have him, Travis Jones, you know, Michael Pierce. We can make that work. We, you know, we would love to keep Justin, but someone's gonna pay that man between fifteen and eighteen million dollars. I would agree. Oh, I think that's what will happen. Will. Unless you move on. 
you move someone on the offensive side, say maybe of Mark Andrews, since you've got a gluttony of young tight ends in an offense that not necessarily needs a dominant target guy in a sense. Could, could be. We, we saw in week one that the Ravens really left the tight ends completely out of the offense um, when they didn't have Andrews. So right. Andrews, five catches and eight targets this week. And it's some big catches for big first downs in this game. And they threw one pass likely for, I think, four yards, and Kolar dropped the, his only target. So they really didn't have the tight ends right. in the offense at all in week one. So I, I shudder. I don't think it's these two guys. Anyway, I think if they drafted another tight end, they could they could let Andrews go. I just uh, I'm I'm right. not convinced yet. No, not not yet. But it's these are the type of questions that you're gonna have to ask because what's call it? What's his name? The guy that just got paid. Lamar. The tight end. Oh no, sorry. Uh, Detroit, not no Minnesota. Detroit, Hawkinson. Hawkinson, yeah. He just got 17 plus. Andrews, his contract has no more new money. Got two years left on it, but no more new money. If I'm his agent, agent, I'm not letting him play on that. Oh well, he he is he's too young to retire. Um, he's got a lot of prorated bonuses. He's, he's gonna make eleven million in each of his last two years between um base salary and roster bonus. I don't think he walks away from that, but uh uh you know that that that's what you're talking about, about your agent not letting you play for that. You can try and extend that player, or you can try and keep that player around and let him graduate out of the system. And the Ravens have been very honest with players, and their whole UFA class this year is going to walk on them. But what I don't want to be caught in is the Mason Reed trap of having these guys in the last year where they're constantly renegotiating a two-year deal every year to get themselves repaid. Right. Yeah. And I think we've seen kind of their – philosophy on the salary cap and and contracts in particular has changed over the last five years. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to put themselves in the position that they were for eight years, which is always tight against the cap, always trying to restructure, always doing this just to pull in a veteran who's probably going to get hurt in week eight or nine and not be around. Unfortunately, that's kind of like the the Odell Beckham formula they just did. So they created a bunch of void years that's already pushed money into 24. I don't want to get I don't want to go down this rabbit hole in particular just because there's too much too much of next year's money has already been spent. And I'm kind of pissed off about it as a season ticket holder that it's that it's happened. Uh, But let's talk about this game a little bit because we've got such great things to talk about. Um, Let's move on to some general things. Rakia Sin uh, still splitting time at Darby with Darby at right. uh, Sorry, left corner. A little bit surprised by that? No, because he missed a lot of camp. I miss he missed what almost three, four weeks at the very beginning of camp. New guy coming into a new system. I get it. You also want to get Darby up to speed. He's not at a hundred percent yet. Mm-hmm. He's coming off an ACL. So I saw flashes of a better Darby this week than the week before because he was getting destroyed on end cuts. Um, in week one, this week he he seemed better because the game plan was tailored to move inside, so he didn't necessarily have to be like totally aware. And that's not really the Bengals' offense deep ends. So, um, and then Rock, he you know 
he was solid. They didn't really go after him a lot, but when they did, he he held up very well. Yeah, I, the 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 Rock Yasin throwing Jamar Chase to the ground like a ragdoll play is one of the. It's already a, a, a chamber of commerce is not the right word, but you know what I mean. Play yeah. from this for, for this season's highlight film. Yeah, uh, it just it's it is a thing of absolute beauty, and and he had that play uh, very impressive PD and and alone on the back end, which is good. And Darby had the undercut on I think it was Higgins, but it might not have been, it might have been somebody else who where he, he tipped the ball away up on mm-hmm. the sideline. Those are both good cornerback plays, yes. you know, making making uh, uh, you know they're very good signs. We've seen some from Stevens on the other side. I think Stevens used the boundary pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit surprising to me that Stevens is the guy who's above all else is the obvious number one cornerback at this point with these other guys sharing effectively number two time at left corner. Yeah, I, I he and he's played really solid. I like I'm not mad at the way he's he's playing corner right now. You know, last year he had a lot of just getting stuck in his hips a lot. Um overthinking, getting out of breaks and things like that. I don't see that hesitation anymore. I see a kid, once again, in the mold of Owe and Queen. They drafted these really young, raw individuals who've only played maybe one or two seasons in their position. got to remember, Stevens was a running back at UCLA before he went to SMU. And played everywhere at SMU. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's never – been in the same role for more than a couple years well now he's basically been a corner for four years three years in the raven system mm-hmm. he's 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 starting to get it and you're starting to see queen he's he's having roquan next to him is like a bible next to you like what do i do next and say okay i'll do this next it's like and i was talking to crawford earlier today about I would like the middle linebackers coverage have been better this week, but I understood the assignment, which was they were being asked to do a lot mm-hmm. in this game and being only six defenders in the box and also covering these deep in routes underneath behind you and things on the sort big tall ass. But Stevens has just been growing leaps and bounds even last year in the in the in the playoff game against the Bengals, he played well. Yeah, he, he played well down the stretch. I thought most of his penalties were early in the season. Mm-hmm. We did see a little bit of grabbiness show up again yesterday. I'm going to let him off the hook for it being Jamar Chase. Yeah, uh, in part. <laughs> and and the other, you know, the guy he's matched up with, the pure X receiver for the Bengals. It's going to be Chase a fair amount of the time. When it's not Chase, it's going to be because they want to match up Higgins against him for some particular purpose. Mm-hmm. And either one of those is a tough matchup. Higgins is a size matchup for any corner, period, even a tall one. And he's because he's so lanky. And we saw on the on the end zone play he made against Darby in particular, uh, we saw T. Higgins at his best, basically able to tap his toes and maintain his balance as he caught a football that was so far out of reach of the cornerback, you, you know, the cornerback just Darby at that in that case just had to kind of throw his arms up after the play. Yeah, I mean that's I saw that and I just saw AJ Green. Mm-hmm. That's that's who he reminds me of, a stronger up top AJ Green. Yeah, I don't know if he's as fast as AJ Green was when he was 
in his super prime, but T. Higgins is about to get paid as a number one receiver somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I think Cincinnati probably will keep him. We'll, we'll see how that goes, but I imagine that's the way it ends up going. He was had this conversation with the Cincinnati guy on Know Your Foe, but he was apparently the 33rd pick, so he's just outside of the first round. Mm-hmm. So he's, he, he, he has to be paid in year five or in year four. If, yeah. uh, if it comes to that, they might franchise him next year. Cincinnati's in pretty good cap shape, yeah. so for a reasonable chance that they uh, end up doing it. I, I'd love to see him leave the division. I just don't believe they're going to nah, let he, it happen. They they shouldn't let it happen. I think Boyd's the odd man out. Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly, I think he's a he's coming into kind of a pure wide receiver. I I. I I know Jamar Chase is is that dude, but I almost fear Higgins more in certain spots in certain sure. situations. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, it's a, incredible to me. I think they targeted him seven or eight times that first week without a reception. And I'm, I keep thinking to myself, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. Had to be Burrow inaccuracy was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But I just it's hard for me to believe that that could happen in a in a single football game with how much of a catch radius that guy has that uh, that you miss right. that often. Uh, let's see. We talked a little bit about the corners here. I, you know, one of the things I really liked in this game was how not not, not just that they forced the ball to the outside to wide receiver, tons of wide receiver screens, tons of ball out quick, tons of little swing routes to the running backs and whatnot. But it's how they how they defended it um, after the snap. So you show the you show the defense what you're doing, the cover two, and that forces them into the, into throwing a lot of these little cheap small ball throws. But then the linebackers, particularly Queen in this game, just outstanding at uh, following the running back as needed, chasing down the play. I thought, and uh, I thought he really had a good game. He had one bad missed tackle, but other than that, I thought he had he had a very good game. Absolutely, I think. You can tell in camp two things were on Mike McDonald's board when they first walked in. We must tackle everybody to the football. Mm-hmm. In zone defense, it's so much easier because the angles are natural. They're natural angles. You got guys coming inside out and guys coming outside in. If you do your job, you're going to limit what the offense can do. It's when that guys, is a bit, go ahead. I just want to say that's a fantastic point for starters. But there's another element of that, even beyond that, is the trust you can have yeah. in your other players on the field with you because you've all got eyes on the football in zone defense, generally speaking. You at least have the, the two guys on the back end with mm-hmm. the correct eyes on the football. So if you play your leverage properly, you know, the other guy is probably not going to misplay his and betray you, you know, mm-hmm. to to uh, allow the cutback to the other side. But I, I love that about this game. And and I thought the Ravens, um, it, it was the perfect option to have their corners be as effective as they could possibly be. Stevens in particular, just coming downhill, very natural for him. Mm-hmm. It's true on the other side, Darby, we saw great run defense in week one, but they, they can play better team defense when they're playing zone and, you know, Burrow is deciding, I don't have the arm strength to throw deep down the field. I've got to throw these little outside flare passes. Yeah, it's it's a you, like you said, starting to show that the last four games, the Ravens have played this particular way against Joe Burrow. And 
tell me a game he had a great day in those four games. I mean, the playoff game, it was a disaster in the second half, except for the first drive. Yeah, I think I think he said of this this game that we that they just played yesterday was his best quarterback rating of the four, and it was only eighty five point six, and so his others were all lower. They were I think they've been remarkably consistent in the low eighties. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what Burrow did in this game, okay, so he threw for five point one yards per throw, and for starters, that's not acceptable. And then he also threw one interception in forty one passes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get throw in one other statistic there is the completion percentage. And normally I wouldn't say that that's all that important because yards per pass is is the most important stat if it's if it's at a certain level. But if you if you could throw a very high percentage of completions, and I'm talking about like 90 or 95, you could or, or save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Could be 85 even. You could make 5.1 yards per target work if you had no turnovers. But the the efficient frontier of turnovers and yards per play He's just nowhere near it at 5.1 with one turnover. There's too much variation in the result for, for Cincinnati to grind out consistent first downs. They did do pretty well based mm-hmm. on what they had, but but it's still, if you look at it, I think they had 11 of their 19 first downs they went to third or fourth down on. Yeah. Okay. While the Ravens, it was only nine out of 26. So Ravens are playing really good second down football really good first down football making you know bigger explosive plays and the, the the Bengals offense was sputtering along just trying to make it make it work on third down that, this was not a 2019 Lamar Jackson trying to run out the clock on the opponents with consistent 12 and 14 play drives this was like we're hoping to maintain a 16 play drive to get a touchdown right they they just were out of sync and i i give credit to the game plan but also what on Twitter universe people were like the lack of a pass rush. Mm-hmm. I honestly think it was probably it's part of the game plan and it's, and it was brilliantly schemed. Yes. And I, I, I am, I am, I don't hate sacks, but I think they're overblown, especially in this game. Now, 15, 20 years ago, a sack. Yeah. Pretty damaging, but guys, second and sixteen—that's just an in route now <laughs> on a drive on a fifteen-yard dig. Like we're back on schedule. So sacks on third down, yeah, big impact. You know that kind of impact number, things along that sort. But when you can consistently have a quarterback's feet never set, always moving, always bouncing. A lot of cross traffic in his face, so a lot of stunting, color changing always in his face. That is disconcerting. I don't care who you are as a quarterback. You see different colors just flying like this the entire day. No, it does. It's an uncomfortable feeling to try to throw something. I remember back to the Thanksgiving day on Thanksgiving game on 2011 when the Ravens played the 49ers. Mm -hmm. So they had Alex Smith mic'd up for that game 
And they, the Ravens had nine sacks, by the way, to tie their franchise record at the time. They got 11 against uh, Tennessee a few years later. But the the, the nine-sack game, uh, Alex Smith was on the sideline, and at least once they really caught him talking about all the color he was seeing specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, you say, I kept seeing color. I kept seeing color kind of thing. And uh, I, I, I can't quote him exactly, but that it's uh, it's definitely exactly your point you're making is that uh, yes, it's uh, if if you see if you keep seeing flashes of the opponent's jersey is what they typically mean by color. Uh, it could be white, I guess. <laughs> then, right. Uh, that's very frustrating too. Very frustrating, and I and I think well done. Played to everyone's strength up front. Um, I think Ajabo just needs to be a little stronger in the run game, but that's mm-hmm. going to come with reps and understanding leverage. Um. I never thought I see a player like Javavian Clowney allowed to do whatever he wants to do <laughs> and however he wants to get to the quarterback or however you want to defend something. He's very he's allowed to do that. And and it might be what's contributing to Justin Matabike's slow start is he's playing a lot of what we call bird on the defensive line, which is in essence the Defensive end has free reign. Okay. He can rush outside. He can run inside. He's green lit. He's green lit on the outside. The tackle has to slow play it. So if the ta- if the DN crosses inside, he's got to work his way outside to cover that, mm-hmm. that side. If he rushes outside, now the D tackle has, okay, now I can counter because he's controlling the outside. I can stay in my original gap. And is that going to – Yeah, let's see. On Clowney's side – Okay, so if Clowney was the rush linebacker, uh, mm-hmm. who who typically is going to have probably more freedom in this way, the only guy who has to react to him is then the nose tackle, right? Because he'd be a five, and uh, on uh, sorry, he'd be outside. Yeah, he'd be outside the tackle. He'd be a five mm-hmm. on that on the naked side, and then the one the one would be the guy next to him on a typical four man front. Depends on where the back is. It could be the three. If the back's tilted the other direction, if, but if but he okay, sorry. If he's a yeah. if he's at a five and they have a normally spread line, it's typically going to yeah. be the nose tackle. It's going to be the yeah. guy next to him. So that, that's actually less to give up in mm-hmm. terms of what you do. But a clowny oftentimes in this game and I think in general for his career has played opposite the right tackle and right tight end, which makes it then you're giving up your three tech to allow clowny to green be green lit. Correct, which causes. If you're patient enough as a D tackle, you're going to get a bunch of sacks off of it. Because what's going to happen is Clowney's going to rip in there. He's going to get flushed up. He's going to burrow smart because he'll just back out, like facing the rush, mm-hmm. so he can bail out and continue to look downfield. A lot of other quarterbacks will spin. And I don't know about other D tackles, but if I see a quarterback spin, I'm putting my helmet through his chest. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. Uh, is a uh, uh, We talked a little bit about this. Is there anything else we need to get? Yeah. I, one other thing I want to hit on was 70 to 57 in snaps. They lost snaps very decisively against the Texans. Mm-hmm. And this is a team defensively that is probably in some significant rotational problems right now at both outside linebacker where they don't have a lot of pass rush talent 
and at um, defensive line where they've lost Calais Campbell. So they don't have the obvious guys who are going to be effective playing a lot of snaps yet, or at least we don't know who those right. are. Like guys have been fairly effective across the line. Matabike's had some penalties, but other than that, I'd say everybody's been reasonably effective so far in terms of what they've done. Urban has done a pretty good job and uh, he's probably been, you know, the, the least of them certainly in terms of total snaps. But one of the things I said coming into this year was the Ravens are going to have a lot of trouble if they stay on the field for too many defensive snaps because it's not really obvious how they're going to pick up all the snaps that, that Campbell played, plus all the additional snaps that Monken makes them play by mm-hmm. having a faster place offense. Yeah, so as, as what worried me this week, and I'm glad you brought up kind of the play count, was – the fact that the Bengals only played 17 snaps in the first yeah. half. That worries me as a defensive coordinator because most offensive coordinators come into a game with at least 25 plays in their script. So I haven't seen everything yet. So I, I, I can't even really make adjustments at halftime because I haven't seen the, the entire what they're going to try to do to me. I, I got like two-thirds of the picture, but the rest of it is kind of like just – muddied out in the world now let me ask you this they obviously have tremendous familiarity with the Bengals and mm-hmm. they can see from the first half that the Bengals are playing the same Bengals small ball game that they had the last three meetings mm-hmm. furthermore the Bengals are probably the most extreme team in the entire National Football League of keeping exactly the same 11 guys on the field every single freaking play offensively. Mm-hmm. They, they want their big three on the field uh, offensively. They have a couple different tight ends they'll use, but basically they're not even that big a part of the offense. It's not really like they're getting a bunch of fresh legs that they're going to really use. Mixon plays almost every single snap. There are a few, you know, he played eight, maybe 85% of the snaps or something. They, they have a few going to somebody else. And of course, Burrow plays all the snaps on so the offensive line to play all the snaps. So it doesn't, they don't really have different players on the field. They'll almost tire right. themselves out with no huddle if they run it extensively. Yeah. I, I, it reminds me of the old Steeler defenses from mm-hmm. about eight years ago or six years ago, whatever, where they were just 12 guys. <laughs> I, I mean, I remember looking at snap counts. You just see the D line of 90 snap, like 90% of the snaps. You're like, that is, that is a lot of work. <laughs> it, it really is. And they, they've asked that of their defensive tackles. And it's true of Cam Hayward and, and Tuit when they were together. Yeah. And, and it, But it's true of Aaron Smith and and the uh, – who's the guy with the big beard that they had for Kiesel? Yeah. Kiesel forever. I mean, it's it's been true forever for that Steelers team. And they did seem to get away with it is all I can say. It was uh, fairly remarkable in, in, in that regard. But, uh, but you uh, can't boy. really get away with it in this game now. Because if I know you're always going to be an 11 personnel, mm-hmm. that just makes my life easier as a coordinator. Let's jump right in on that for a second and talk packages, if, yes. if you don't mind. Because the Ravens, because of this 11 personnel, they basically didn't use any different packages in this game. I've never, I've never seen anything this extreme. They played two snaps of base alignment the entire game. Now, I didn't actually go back and look at why they might have done this, but I think they did have two more tight end snaps than total than total offensive plays, which might mean literally in their case, they had two snaps of 12 personnel. 
mm-hmm. which might have been where they brought the base defense on the field. Right. But they had two snaps of that. Every single other play except for one was the standard nickel. Yeah. Okay. And then they had one big nickel, which I cannot figure out why they did it because it was just a base 11 personnel look. But they brought Hamilton up to play nickel, and they dropped Worley in on the back end for one play. It's actually the play where Patrick Queen got hurt. Um, but the, on that on that play, they had a weird alignment with Worley in for just one snap. Uh, they they didn't play. There's there's no need to play package differences if the other team's going to throw the exact same personnel group against you. Why why am I going to get complicated? Yeah. You have made my life easier as a defensive coordinator. Now what I can do, and what he, Mike McDonald was very successful in doing. It's just mixing up how you see it. I'm going to end up where you think I'm going to be. But the question is, how am I going to get there? And I think Mike did a very good job of simulated blitzes. Mm -hmm. um, A lot of bluffing, but a lot of different guys bluffing. My favorite blitz is Hamilton does it great, but Washington does it great, which is that delay blitz from the – basically a full front of just fakeness. Okay. <laughs> you get old school wink, just put everybody at the line and everybody's dropping. But here comes, you know, basically the the true blitzer who's the fifth guy on the backside that no one's accounted for. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant scheme because what you're doing as a coordinator is saying, I'm going to take away your first look. And if you don't take it, you're not going to have time to get your second look because you think you're protected. But I got to free runner your backside and they've hit the bangles with that a lot in in recent years burrow is the kind of guy who is usually pretty good about getting to the hot read Mm -hmm. um and and that's that i think that's the key for any basically slot blitz a lot of safety blitzes is make sure you understand what part of that field is going to be open and which of my guys is going to get there so that i time it up correctly uh Roethlisberger you know for a lot of reasons it just didn't work trying against it never works against Mahomes that Ravens have had terrible luck trying to blitz him but uh I love that I love that slot blitz as well I thought a lot of what they try to do is simulated pressure in this game and maybe we just jump up and talk about the, the about the pass rush while we're right on it is they were really trying to confuse the line more than Burrow in the game that the linemen you know it, it's a set of pedestrian interior lineman, I'll call that. I may be even generous at that respect with Volson, Karras, and Kappa. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a very, like you said, a pedestrian, not a quick-footed group, mm-hmm. very much a built for a pocket quarterback. Just be anchors and try to keep every just tight bubble around him, in a sense, and let him do his thing. Raven was like, no, we're going to just be flies on the ornament and just cut through that wall. We don't have to get hands on Joe, but what we're doing is making the offense lineman panic. So in essence, you're making Joe panic because he's not sure if that guy is going to get picked up. It's an extra half account. Joe's going to be late or on the Javavian Clowney getting to him and that ball shooting straight up in the air, which is a huge play. Yep. He had to hold the ball that extra count because there was – color flashing in his eyes so he that he had to wait that's what that pass rush was built for and it was beautiful to watch yeah it was was, they they got the ravens are a pass rush generally that relies on second man pressures so it's everything they don't have an aaron donald and they don't have miles garrett and when you don't have the top pass rushing guys in the league hutchinson whoever you might 
talk about next. Um, you have to figure out ways to scheme for a pressure to occur simultaneously with a num- another event that gets there just a moment later. And, and they've been very good at that. And Clowney has been the guy to produce these first pressures, which then create an opportunity for another player to get a quarterback hit. And in several cases, it's been Owe, including another time um, in this game. Well, Owe got a second second uh, look for a quarterback hit in this game. But uh, I've just been I've been very impressed with the way that's worked. And Clowney in particular is a guy I have a whole new level of respect for. You know, now that he's wearing purple, he has been as advertised, if not even more of a disruptor than I. You, you, you know he's a disruptor, but then when he's on your team and you're just seeing him just cause absolute chaos on every play he's involved in, like he doesn't even make tackles and he's just causing piles of bodies that running backs can't get through cleanly. So instead of getting a five-yard game, they're getting a two, three-yard game, and that's keeping them off schedule. Done a real good job. I thought done a generally good job anyway against the run. I thought he he had a couple plays in this game. One was he allowed a three yard conversion down. I think it was inside the five yard line when they when they made the first down, uh, and he kind of beats himself in the head. And I'm going, okay, well, there's a guy who still cares about football. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I like that. You know, he knows that he kind of got trapped on the inside by the combination of the tight end and the tackle, and he and he didn't he wasn't in exactly the right spot, but. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to see that he's he he understands it was his responsibility there, and mm-hmm. honestly, it's, it wasn't the biggest mistake. So it's it's a, that's also a good thing. Yeah, it's it's him recognizing that little thing is what's not going to get them where they want to be. So what do I got to do next time I see it? Got to get there. Clowney has never been all the way, right? He's always played for a bunch of teams that haven't made it, right? He didn't get something in Seattle or someplace where I don't. Did I, he go to the playoffs it. in Seattle? I'm not. I'm not sure if. He I think it. the year he was in Seattle, I think they went to okay. the playoffs. But my, I guess my question was, has he been to the Super Bowl anyway? No. So, okay. No. All right. Um. Okay, so he def- definitely didn't go with Houston. We can rule that out. Right. Seattle, Tennessee in 2020, the Ravens eliminated them, so they, they he, he made it to the the wild card game. Then, two years in Cleveland, I think they didn't they play a, in a playoff game in one of those two years in 21 or 22. I think it was 21 with Baker. Okay, all right, and then obviously he's still waiting on this year. So the question would have been, did he make it in Seattle in 2019? And they probably yeah. went. I just don't remember how far they got. Yeah. So. I want to toss out a few numbers here just to just this is the normal thing I go through on my show here. But I talk about ample time and space. Burrow had that on only nine of 42 dropbacks. A lot of that is a case of I'm scoring it. That's a three second pocket. Um, There were probably some other of the ball out quicks which might have developed into an ample time space. But he had so many ball out quick uh, opportunities that they didn't really give ample time and space a chance to develop. But here's the thing. Nine out of 42 dropbacks, 21% at ETS. That's kind of low. But on those plays, he only threw for 36 yards. So uh, six of 12, uh, sorry, no, no, uh, five of nine for 36 yards, four Mm -hmm. yards per pass. And that also included Stone's interception was when he had a very clean pocket to work with. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you see quarterbacks struggle because Joe had to struggle. Mm-hmm. When teams didn't come after Joe and he could 
just pick them apart left, right, and sideways and had to think about what was about to happen, he struggled with it. And I think Burrow struggles when he's not in a rhythm. Now, when Joe's you, you're in a t- rhythm. You're talking Joe. You meant Joe, Joe Flacco Burrow. with you first. Yes, oh. Joe Flacco. Yeah. He, you know, against the Bengals in particular, in particular Joe Flacco yeah. <laughs> would just be a mess. Absolute mess. And we all knew what the game plan is that Cincinnati was coming in against Joe Flacco, which was bring safety pressure into his face. Anytime there was a third and seven or eight, there was some type of safety pressure coming in his face. And yet we could never solve it. (laughs) It was, it was one of those things you go into Cincinnati, you'd be a nightmare every time uh, for Flacco. And you have these, those huge interception games that he would have every once in a while. And, you know, when he was successful at all, he was dumping down to, to, to Ray Rice. And if you think about the reversal of fortune here, mm-hmm. uh, it's awfully similar in terms of what Burrow's now going through against the, Ra- the Ravens defense. Yep, absolutely. Going to toss a little more stats out there, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on here. He delivered the ball before pressure could develop 20 times. That's 48% of his pass attempts, 20 out of 44 uh, we're ball out quick. Now there's some truncation of the data here because when the ball is out quick, I'm immediately taking out any sacks that will mm-hmm. occur. I'm immediately taking out any pressures, which tend to be lower yardage plays, but still when the ball was out quickly, 7.2 yards per pass, nothing really wrong with that. He completed most of those throws. And unfortunately I don't, I didn't record here how, what, what percentage he actually completed on that. But, uh, but certainly the, the, his, the Bengals offense was, plenty effective when the ball was out quickly. It's just, you can't always guarantee the ball is going to be out quickly or you, you do that. Right. 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 Totally. You you just, yeah. Now the only ran 17 plays in that first half and they got two pressures, but they got another 11 pressures in the second half. So if they finished out 31%, I thought it was a fairly reasonable pressure performance. And I think you mentioned early that earlier that, we probably should have expected less from the Ravens in terms of the number of pressures, given how much their game plan was to get that ball out quickly. Yeah. I think going into that game, you, you as a defensive player, you have to understand that I have to be in my spots. The ball's going to be out quick and I got to tackle, 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 tackle all week. They just first man in wrap up. You One thing you have not noticed and I have not noticed even in the preseason, even with, with the 90 guys that were there, if you notice, there's not a lot of diving for tackling. It's rare. A lot of guys are bringing their feet, bringing their bodies, bringing their hands. They're bringing everything to the party. We're not reaching. We're not, you know, diving in the last second and, and getting the guys are getting there with two thirds, three fourths of their body to make plays. Okay. So where, where do you, you're, I mean, you're an ex linebacker, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so where is the ideal spot? Do you, do you want to hit him in the belt buckle or do you want to hit him in mid thigh to make a tackle? What's, what's your best point of leverage for making that tackle? And I know best it might be situation. It's, it's, it's the hip. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't go anywhere without your hips. So <laughs> you put a shoulder in the hips, it's going to change their, basically their axle of what do you want to call that? Just vertical verticality mm-hmm. in a sense. So hitting in their waist, hitting in their legs, wrapping around their legs by far is the best way to bring a guy down. Now, 
a lot of people are tackling now with their full bodies. And we did that in college as well. My linebacker coach was all about chest to chest when you tackle. Mm -hmm. Whenever you can get there, be chest to chest because that means you're bringing everything to the party. That means you are going to wrap up. If you're first guy on, you can make plays that way. You can rip balls out if you're chest to chest with someone or you're, you're bringing all your legs in there because now you got leverage. You can, you can do some things. You can be physical. Physical football teams tackle well. Teams that are a little bit more flighty, kind of like kind of like the Bengals. They don't tackle very well. Why? Because all they see in practice is three wide receivers. Dink dunk, dink dunk. You can't when are you gonna practice that? When are you gonna practice hitting that? Never the- against your own your own yeah. players, really. Yeah. Right. But you go to a Raven practice, you, you're going to see 25, 30 run plays at you. You better be ready to tackle. <laughs> no, Physicality. Hey, you better be ready to go. I uh, I, I get that. Now, I, one thing I wanted to ask you was, in terms of tackling, how much was – and you played college ball around what year, if you don't mind me asking? I played 2000 to 2003. 2000-2003. Okay, so we're talking the, the glory days of the Ravens defense, and you're at JMU at the time. Yep. Okay, so what I wondered was either your linebackers coach, your defensive coordinator, anybody else who was in charge of quality control on the defense at the time, did they go a little deeper into tackling theory with you other than go chest to chest in terms of ancillary value you can get even out of a missed tackle? And I'm really wondering, you know, I think some of that's coming into vogue now at the college level. I don't know about that at the pro level. Some people are like, it's, you know, it's just still, it's one or zero, it's white or black. You either make the play or you don't. Right. But, I, but I, I think it's, it's, it's more like if you go into the quarterback and you hit him very hard, in particular running back, and you retrack him 90 degrees or even better, 135 degrees, and all of a sudden he's headed in completely the wrong direction, you've blown up that play. Right. And so... T- tell me, what was it like in your experience going through school at that time? Were they, were they teaching any of that at the point? At that point, we we learned. We were taught, obviously chest to chest, but full speed. Mm-hmm. Why full speed under control? You want to get there, but you don't want to go by the guy. You don't want to be like a flash in the pan. You want to get there under control. That's why we tackle with our full body, because if you do miss, he's missing your entire body. So you have stopped his momentum. And now we played a lot of what the Ravens do now, which is a lot of fire zones. We were a heavy matchup zone type team. So that's why I have a very good understanding of what the Ravens Mm -hmm. are trying to accomplish. And the goal is everyone has an angle. So if the linebackers are coming inside out, I need my linebackers to go full tilt inside out. Here comes the safety. Here comes the corner. It's like this cone effect. We're all going to meet at the point of the cone. That's how we were taught tackling. And also it was about body preservation in a sense, because you don't want to be tackling with your shoulders all the time. You don't want to be dipping, putting all that continuous banging on your shoulders. You t- you're taught to wrap up though, not to not to use your arm as a as opposed to your pads, right? Right. You're you're taught to wrap up, but 
the natural tendency for a guy is dip his shoulder mm-hmm. and throw it in there. A lot of guys got a lot of shoulder injuries. Hmm. My freshman year before we had a change in philosophy because a lot of guys were dipping their shoulders. A lot of guys were always coming out with bad biceps, you know, just arm injuries that can be corrected on defense with just fundamental change in how you tackle. Mm -hmm. So now when we were there, I would say defensively, I mean, the defensive lineman would have a shoulder thing here and there, but once we changed the way we tackled, Shoulder issues were a thing in the past. All right. All right. Some, some definitely some very in-depth, uh, interesting things about how to avoid injuries. I, I, I really appreciate you bringing that to the show. Uh, I, I'm going to mention briefly a couple of things. Uh, by number of pass rushers, I'm not going to get into this in any depth. The, the Ravens only tried five times to rush five plus in this game. So definitely McDonald was not doing it with numbers. He would normally have a fairly even number of fours and fives in a typical game and very few times with more. They did try three times to rush six plus in this game, but only twice the whole game did they rush five men. Um, And 36 times by comparison, they rushed four. Bengals only had four and a half yards per play on those plays. It's it's what you dream for as a defensive coordinator. It's only got to bring four all day. Yeah. Okay. That's easy. That's (laughs) fine. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have to stand up there and, and my ears start bleeding yeah. smoke because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to figure out how to bring six and I get torched. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Outstanding. Okay. Other folks, I'm just going to direct you to the article uh, of mine. If you want to look at individual blitzes, they had eight. If they had stu- they had seven stunts, they were all single. What's I'll say, I'll say about stunts, we kind of glossed by this earlier in the show, but I, I, I kind of wanted to mention it is, when you're facing a quarterback like Burrow that has a known calf injury and mobility is really going to be an issue, I think you'd be more likely to want to call on-field stunts, on-field mm-hmm. games with the guy next to you, right? Absolutely. It's totally the game plan because you want to test to see how healthy he is. And if he's not healthy, I'm going to keep coming and I'm going to keep twisting and stunting. It's, it's the old philosophy as an offensive coordinator. I'm going to go out and figure it out on the first series. If you allow me to do that, guess what I'm going to do the entire game? (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to test that out. All right. Uh, I did mention already Clowney led the team with contributions to seven pass rush events. There was nobody else even close. Nobody else had more than two Pierce and Robinson. As I scored, it had two each, by the way, if you go out and look at PFF this week, you're going to notice, and I want to make this make, clear about this pff has Clowney for only two pressures in this game one a quarterback hit and one sack zero other pressures now is is, it doesn't make any sense to me either denard but what i think it is is that they're not really respecting the throwing cone of the quarterback and the sanctity that has to have for the the quarterback to step into that throw and Clowney was in there all freaking day with five other types basically and and so they did pff has their own standard for pressures they they call them if i call them up about these five they they literally might change some you know after after hearing about they might be like oh we agree with that one and we agree with this third one over here but the other ones are staying as they are but they they uh you know, have their own standard for doing it. They have their own timing for doing it. So you'll see different definitions, but this is one I'm very comfortable with my own definition of it in terms of how I've called it. I'm also, I know that PFF is probably doing it consistently on their end as well. So they're using a definition that's a little different. 
we have that happen all the times in terms of waiting for offensive line play as well. But I know somebody's going to call me out on this and say, Clowney did have seven pressures. He only had two. Look at PFF kind of thing. Well, PFF and I have a different standard for counting. Yeah, I can tell you one already off the top of my head. They probably didn't count. is the one he, he dipped inside and Burrow immediately bailed and just kind of threw it to the back that was just sitting in the flat. I, I know. I remember that one. If he flushed him out of his uh, regular pocket position and out of the pocket at all, for that matter, that that's a pressure as far as I'm concerned. So I, yeah. I agree with that, too, yeah. but they probably didn't see that because Joe bailed. And in essence, was it really because of clowning? You, you can kind of gloss over like, no, Joe just bailed out of the pocket as a rollout and he decided, you know, whatever. <laughs> we, we, we just looked at the offensive line tonight. And one thing I'll say is the offensive line had a good game. There's no, there's no doubt about it. That the grades massively inflated by Jackson running them out of pressures. A, a yeah. huge number of plays where Jackson uh, evacuated the pocket deftly um, and, and evaded pressure to, to create a positive run. And, and uh, I, I charge him with a zero on such a play, but not a minus two instead that they would uh, right. get for a pressure. So anyway. Yeah. I, I think, I think Lamar played a very smart game. He understood once he checked I, and the Bengals stopped checking. If you notice that once he burned them, let one drive yeah. like three, four times in a row. Oh, you want to drop and cover two? I'll take six yards. Yeah. Slide down right here. He, second yeah, four. I, I've never seen Lamar have the influence on the defense that he did in this last game. I know this, we're talking about the defense here, but in coming to the line of scrimmage, you know, seeing what they were in, and a lot of times it was simulated pressure looks, or more than once anyway, mm-hmm. and he would call out another play, and they'd, they'd back right out of it. Yep. And uh, you know, on a pre-snap basis, love to see that. So, Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a game you don't want to get into as a defense. It's getting out of pressures. Denard, I feel so lucky to have you for this particular conversation. A lot of topics overlap with your football experience. But first of all, I, I want to give people a chance to know where they can find your work online and, and talk a little bit about what you got going on now. So you can find me at the Fire Zone Show on Twitter. You can also find me at my my personal handle at Denard13. Um, on my show, we basically we break down the individual spots. Um, about the defense, and we we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I, I do see the the fun stuff that comes on Twitter about certain players, and I like to address those things, like with OA and 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 and, and Queen and, and their development. So that's what I do on my show. Um, Mike Crawford is is the driver of that show as well, um, and we have a lot of fun over there. And it eventually gets a little silly, and, and it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> Crawford, uh, one of my favorite people to talk football with of all, uh, and, and people know that because he's been on the show roughly a zillion times. I mean, in terms of uh, of, of what he does, uh, just he, love his work, and I love, uh, in particular, what he does with the run game because he does a a lot yes, of does. charting of the run game that is way above and beyond, and uh, uh, he ought to do more to try and publicize the work he's doing there. But I honestly don't feel like he does enough. And uh, and hopefully he'll uh, uh, you know get credit for what he's done. He's been on my show once to explain this voluminous amount of information he's compiled for a year, and he has another guy who works with him closely on on the technical side of it. Mm-hmm. Their work together is just outstanding, and really? uh, you got a great co-host there. Absolutely, it, it was one of the reasons why Mike and I hooked up a few years ago. Was you know I, I made a comment about I think. The Ravens were really struggling. I think it was 2020 when they just 
were really struggling on first down. I, I think I made the comment like they just were horrific. It, it just you could see it from the like you could see it in games, but I don't think you could tell until you like looked at the numbers and then like they looked at it and it was like a match in heaven. Like, oh, you saw that? Yeah. Here we go. Let's talk. Let's let's talk about what you you really like. <laughs> yeah, he's, he is. Uh, he's one of a kind. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'll ask other folks out there, if you're interested to being on a film study short, hit me up. I always do a, a few shows during the regular season, though the week is very well laid out now in terms of total shows. We have about eight per week that I that I produce. But if you want to be on a film study short, you have an idea, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I really want to hear from you. This is how I find new, new people to talk football with. And uh, I promise you I'll get back real quickly and we'll talk about your idea. Denard, thanks again for joining us for part one. We'll be back for part two, talk about some of the individual performances uh, after we take a short break here. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.